This is Frank Goss with Vintage Broadcasting. Thank you for joining us as we consider the history and the situation of public education in the United States of America today. Our series is entitled, John Dewey's Dumbing Down of the American Mind. Watching what's going on today in our nation is so disgusting and infuriating to me. And I know that I'm not alone. I know there's a lot of people that are watching this and just feel sickened with what's happening. For me, I like to look back and see what has happened that would bring us to this point. That's just the way I like to look at things. Now, if the house is burning, I know that you need to run. You need to do something in that moment. And you can't look back and say, what caused this fire? That's something that you do after you correct the situation. That's true. But we need to understand what has caused the fire. I mean, we are in a serious, serious problem here in the United States. We're divided worse than we've ever been. And we need to find out where we've gone astray. Will it help things? I don't know. But it'll give us an idea of what we can do. Now, I start with the Constitution, looking at it. But foremost, I am a Christian, and I do rely 110% on what the Bible has to say. I know that would preclude that, that I wouldn't be accepted by a lot of people, and that's fine. But I do believe that God has established his word above all things. So I hold to that. But I do believe also that God has blessed America in such a way that it's undeniable. So I want, I want to gain a greater understanding of what the founders actually meant and how this document has guided us over 200 years and how we're straying from it. So I, I look at it and I examine it. And that's why I'm going to be saying these things that I'm saying in this particular podcast and probably for the next few. We start with a preamble. It says, We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessing of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. There were 55 men that were selected and appointed by the people of their particular states to join together for debate and discussion, knowing full well that the statements they would issue would literally place their lives and fortunes at risk. If you back up a little bit and look at the Declaration of Independence, you'll see that many of the signatories actually suffered complete loss of land and home and subsequently their lives. The moves that we made as a nation early on were critical, substantial, and consequential. This particular document, the Constitution, is perhaps one of the most powerful documents relating to government ever reduced to writing. It has served to be the fiber that has held the nation together as one for over 250 years. Nations throughout the world have read it. Many have been amazed by it. Some have sought to incorporate it, and many have embraced it. And we must recognize and understand that the framers of the Constitution were establishing a declaration that explained that the government was being established in a way that no other government throughout history had ever been established. It was a government that was established by the consent of the people. We, the people, were creating a government. And the government was not creating a people. It was this document that explained the rules and the regulations and controls and constraints that were being placed upon the government, not upon the people. The key phrase is, to me, we the people. The following list cites inalienable rights of the people as being given by God to all people, not allowed by government. Which means the government doesn't say, you can do this and you can do that. 
We the people determine what we can and cannot do, not the government. Now these were understood by the people to be self-evident. They were established prior to creation of any ruling powers. All men were blessed equally by God with such rights. No proof was required to prove this other than the fact that you were a living, breathing human being. Thus it was obvious. You have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now these men were rational and learned individuals. They weren't extremists. They were sound thinkers. They recognized that these simple principles were understood by all men. So there was really no need to elaborate and prove these things. It was only when men sought to take these rights away that there would need to be a defense made. Today we have a totally different population. We live in a totally different culture. We have a population made up of a majority who reject these ideas. The people have rejected the idea of God and the biblical standards put forth in the Bible. At the writing of the Constitution, colonialists were a religious people recognizing God and human equality and the sanctity of life. The colonies were built on Christian principles, which factually cannot be denied. Over 90% of the people at that time identified themselves as Christian. Now, this does not mean that everybody was unified in their theology, nor were they in complete agreement concerning religion. What it does indicate is that the people exalted God in their thinking and consideration. The vast majority recognized the God of the Bible as being the sovereign of the universe. To say this from the rostrum of the Democratic Convention would be akin to slapping a beehive with a big stick and then refusing to run. The communists hate the idea of God, even the idea of God. In 2012, as a convention, the Democrats voted to have God removed from their political platform. You see, if God is dead then who can judge? Who can make the rules? We can. When men begin to rule, take a quick look back in history and see just how wicked and evil men actually are. As a side note, there were strong sentiments within the colonies that Christian communities should have laws protecting them from tyrannical governmental influences. Never make the mistake that the government was being unduly influenced by Christian pressures. The Christian community is the one that built the government. The people who fled England years earlier were being persecuted in harsh manners by other Christian groups. In one instance, one Christian group that was running a community literally hung several men due to their dissenting views. They were viewed as heretics, holding heretical views that were contrary to their understanding of Scripture. So, the Christians felt that there needed to be rules imposed and held by local governments. Congress sought to address this matter in 1791 with the establishment of the First Amendment to the Constitution. The following ten amendments that were added is known, are known as the Bill of Rights. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. The First Amendment. This was known as the Establishment Clause, and this amendment guarantees the individual freedom to practice the religion of his choice and to do so without fear of suppression by governmental authorities. Today, there have been numerous regulations and restrictions placed on the practice of religion. Did these laws eliminate the problems? Well, not really. Prejudice will stand regardless of laws. The persecution, however, by local government was now considered illegal. In Europe, such a law was unheard of. 
the government restricted the people by fiat. Government controlled the religious notions of the people and the religious practices. At times, the Catholic Church, when empowered in government, would literally burn dissenters at the stake in London before crowds of people in order to intimidate and to ensure that the people understood the power that they held. They even removed heads on a guillotine. It all depended on the political persuasion and the religious opinion of the king or the queen at that time. Most colonies were, were marked by irregular religious practices. Because they had minimal communication between remote settlers, they would develop their own view of religious thinking. And the population, many said, were filled with murderers, thieves, and adulterers, and idle people. Still, the church in each community was considered to be the heart of most communities. We cannot deny the incredible influence of the Word of God in colonial America. Local magistrates and leaders encouraged the citizens to attend church, and some even threatened the people with punishment if they failed to attend. During this period, few communities openly tolerated drinking, gambling, or blood sports of any kind on the Sabbath, as it was a holy day, and religious faith that strayed from Christianity was held in contempt. Catholicism was forbidden. This contempt had to make way for a diverse population that was growing exponentially. People were coming to America from all over the world. You had the French Huguenots, the Catholics, Jews, Dutch Calvinists, German Reformed Pietists, Scottish Presbyterians, Baptists, Quakers, and other denominations arriving in growing numbers. Most colonies were Anglican or Congregational in their views, and they had little choice but to display some degree of religious tolerance as these people moved in. Now, I would agree that the darkest spot in our history began in 1619. However, I would totally, totally disagree with Nicole Hannah Brown. The 1619 Project is a farce. I would say that slavery is an abhorrent, pactri- uh, an abhorrent practice that has existed for millennia, and it still stands today all throughout the world. My disgust rests in the manner in which the good religious folks in the colonies colonies treated the slave population. It was surprising. As you read it, even as late as 1857, with the Dred Scott opinion being issued, stating that black men and women were not and never could be citizens of the United States, although they could be legal citizens in a particular state. This statement was issued by Chief Justice Roger Brooke Taney. He was a Democrat, by the way. If you would take time to read and consider this decision, you will see that it was a convoluted word salad that was filled with prejudice and political positioning. Danny proved himself to be unfit for his position in the Supreme Court. In doing what he did with the Dred Scott case, he lit a fuse that led the nation to civil war. He didn't cause it, but he helped instigate it. The blood of a million men is on his hands. The irony of slavery, and I know we've jumped to slavery this is the flow of my ideas and thinking. I'm going, I have a point here that I'm trying to reach, but the path leads uphill, okay? The irony of slavery was that although men argued against the institution, saying that they despised it and wished it to be dealt with and gone, these very same men owned slaves themselves. And they treated them, in most cases, with a sense of civility and dignity, but that's not the point. The point is, they owned another man. It's like they held title to another human being. Ownership of another man is despicable and intolerable, and no acceptance. There is a very large plantation owner who is well-respected and very, very powerful in political circles. His name was George Mason. George Mason owned hundreds of slaves, 
Records indicate that he was actually one of the largest slave owners in Fairfax County, after none other than George Washington. Now, it was Mason who predicted that slavery would bring down the judgment of heaven in this country if it wasn't discontinued. Yeah. And he stood there saying this as he was one of the largest slaveholders in the area. And he was part of the ones inviting judgment to fall, I suppose. Why did he not free his own slaves? How could he speak so passionately against the institution of slavery while holding title to so many slaves? It was hypocritical. It made no sense. He went as far as to object to the signing of the Constitution because it failed to prohibit the continued importation of slaves. In this declaration, it was understood that Congress held the reins on slavery, allowing it to continue in practice. Now consider all this. I am not supporting BLM or white supremacy or anything. I'm reading the facts. Records reveal that during the Constitutional Convention of 1887, a Faustian bargain was established, one that would literally lead to the near destruction of the United States of America in the 1860s. Two southern states, South Carolina and Georgia, at the convention realized that if the Constitution stood as originally written, restricting and regulating the Atlantic slave trade, the industry in their respective states would be severely injured. This particular clause was not removed. Neither state would accept the Constitution. Well, this provoked a bitter debate, and people began to threaten one another. And they threatened to bring an end to the entire proceeding. Signing the Constitution and developing the words that it contains was a very contentious thing and took 11 years. So these things, arguments and debates of this nature, were not things that were unusual. But they could be ignored. John Rutledge of South Carolina responded forcefully, saying, Religion and humanity have nothing to do with this question. Unless regulation of the slave trade was left to the states, the southernmost states shall be, not be parties to this union. Well, naturally, this let things up in the air. The controversy over the Atlantic slave trade was ultimately settled by compromise. And a lot of people say politics is the art of compromise. In exchange for a 20-year moratorium on applying any restriction to the Atlantic slave trade, Southern delegates agreed to remove the, a clause restricting the national government's power to enact laws requiring goods to be shipped on American vessels. There was a compromise, benefiting Northeastern shipbuilders and sailors. So, you give it to me, I'll give it to you, and we'll walk away happy. Politicians are controlled by instinct and by compromise. It's a common practice. This group of men were no different. They agreed to the 20-year ban on any restrictions of the Atlantic slave trade. 20 years, two decades. Okay. This would have opened the trade to government intervention and regulation in the year of 1807. Well, okay, they all shook hands, they smiled, and went about their business. In 1807, Thomas Jefferson, himself a slave owner, was president, and the ban was removed. But nothing was really done regarding the trafficking of slaves during his administration. The practice continued. It was seen as an illegal practice, but it was done. Why? Money. Money. Without the slaves, the cotton wouldn't get picked. The concern was about the production and money and wealth and the growth of wealth and states' rights. The South was extremely wealthy at that time because of the cotton trade. The idea of a republic was now a new undertaking, and all the kinks had to get worked out. But suggesting these things, it was quite an affront. It had to be considered. You're touching my money.
Well, if you want to say that this was white supremacy at work, you'd be sorely mistaken. You can create all kinds of separation and all kinds of rules if you wish. The Marxists of our day want you to believe that there's nothing more to it than white supremacy. And they're wanting to do nothing more than build a great divide within our nation today, destroying any idea of American excellency. I disagree with them fully. I do believe it was a problem, and I will stand in agreement with that. But to say it was strictly an idea to suppress the blacks in all of this is insane. It makes no sense at all. These Marxists never seem to amplify the facts properly, only, only when they're self-serving. And you can't have an argument based on logic because they deny logic. Uh, you're oppressing me. That's what they want to say. Well, show me how. It doesn't matter. You're oppressing me. That's the argument. There's no reason or logic behind it. It's just they want to say this as many times as they can. You're oppressing me. So that's their defense. Well, I will say this, and I mean it. I believe it. It's an old saying. A half-truth in any language is a whole lie. And that's what these people are doing. They're giving you a half-truth, a whole lie. Examine the hierarchy of communism and notice that it was, it was comprised of all white men. Read the history of Marx and Engels. They despised the black man and hated the poor. And they were hyper-racist. Oh, but that's a lie. No, it's not. It's a fact. Read it. It's written. Some of the things they don't tell us is absolutely amazing, isn't it? It's pretty self-serving when they start presenting their side. And we do the same, but however, the facts when they're laid on the table cannot be denied. If you examine everything in the minutiae, you will find out that most of this was about money and power and authority. While slavery was the basis of the conflict, the issue that truly exacerbated the matter was states' rights. The federal government was daring to interfere into the eternal affairs of a state. South Carolina said, I'll take care of my own house. Thank you. And they seceded. As a matter of fact, long before the war started, several states had already seceded. But Lincoln said, no, we will step in, and you will obey, and you will start by reckoning with the issue of slavery. Remember that it was South Carolina that was so vocal 70 years earlier regarding slavery, and they agreed to certain terms, but now they were kind of backing up on it. But the attitude they had was state rights. We'll keep our slaves. Thank you. Well, that was then, back in 1887. This is now. We're not taking our slaves from across the Atlantic. Our slaves are reproducing on their own. The leaders of the southern states began to exit the population with fear that their power as a state was being usurped by a tyrannical federal government, so secession was made. The Constitution was being walked all over by federal overreach, and the people were resisting it. The tyrants of England were being replaced with the tyrants in Washington. Today, the lie continues, and it pours forth from our leaders and the media, and it's not what's not being said is what's so important. A lot of people don't realize that there were many black slave owners as well who opposed the abolition of slavery. Believe that? For them, the issue was money and the consistent production capabilities that the slaves brought with them. The feds were coming to take away their cheap labor and to interrupt their production. This translates into the feds were stepping in to take away their money. These men, in, in the South particularly, didn't have tractors, they didn't have balers, they didn't have harvesting machines, they had slaves. Free these slaves and the economy would collapse. They knew this. Keep these slaves bound and our nation would collapse. Many people realized that. In the southern United States, we didn't have industry. We didn't have an industrial base to our economy like the northern markets did.
the southern economy was primarily based in agriculture, farming, and cotton. The elite, wealthy men did not want to stoop to actually perform manual labor. Also, without many hands, the work became very heavy. And when their labor base was interrupted and their personal property was taken from them by fiat, they chose to go to war. And it was a horrible war. And if true data is considered, the South lost the war long before it ever started. The financial strength in the nation lie in the North. Will, courage, and determination can cause a small dog to put up a tremendous fight. But in the end, the big dog will win. The narrative has been controlled by the victors now for over 150 years. This is part of the spoils of a victory. The Constitution was redefined and Lincoln was complicit, as was all of Washington. The South was destroyed. The nuances that were implied within the Constitution didn't fit. The nation was holding by a thread. It is the opinion of many historians that the United States never has recovered. It acquiesced, and by constant blows to the back of the knee, the South was made to bow. But a bowed body does not mean true submission. The heart of the people, both from the North and the South, have been in constant rebellion. The issue, slavery, was indeed a cancer within the nation, and it was left by most politicians and allowed to fester. This festered for 70 long years. It was the most volatile issue ever to confront the nation, and one in which our leaders knew needed to be addressed, but one in which our leaders refused to address. Eventually, Mr. George Mason's words were realized. The continuance of slavery brought down judgment from heaven. It caused the death of over 600,000 men, not to mention the injuries which left hundreds of thousands more incapacitated. There was the loss of billions of dollars in property, and a loathing was developed that has endured nearly 300 years, and a national debt at that time that was 40 times higher after the war. And now we have a people, the black race here in America, that does not seem to realize that all of this was done in order to free them from the bondage of men. And in that they refuse to recognize these things, the Marxist ideology that is flooding into our gates is stirring up a racist animosity among the population today. They're hoping to create a great, great divide, one like we saw back in the 1860s. They're tearing America apart, and if we let them do it, they'll succeed. Our series is entitled, John Dewey's Dumbing Down of the American Mind. This production has been written, researched, produced, and edited by Vintage Broadcasting. We're working to provide you, our listener, with factual information that will provide a historical understanding of events that have brought us to where we find ourselves today. We hope this series is beneficial and helps you in your discernment, awareness, and appreciation of specific details, and that it serves to stimulate your thinking regarding the critical days which we are confronting. We thank you for your time and consideration, and would ask that you invite a friend to listen to our series. You are well appreciated.